Sexual Boundaries in Marriage on this edition of Truth in Love. I'm Heath Lambert, and you're listening to Truth in Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, we're answering one of your questions, and the question is, are there any regulations on sexual behavior in marriage? This is a great question, and I think that um, uh, it's one that a lot of people have but often don't know how to ask it, and that's probably one of the reasons why we've received it from several people here. To respond to it, I want to say two things. The first reality that I would want to affirm is that we have to be very, very pro-sex in marriage. This is crucial because as Christians, it's very easy for us to look at the culture and look at the human heart, which is tempted by all kinds of things, and just say no all the time. No to that, no to that, no to that, no to that. And while we do need to say no to things that are sinful, we also need to be honest that God himself made sex, commands sex in the context of marriage, and we are therefore to be grateful for sex. In fact, we could say even more clearly that all the fruit in the garden of sexual delight is open to married couples. And that language I use on purpose because it grows out of Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. It says, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He has brought me to his banqueting hall, and his banner over me is love. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, because I am lovesick. Let his left hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. As you might know, Song of Solomon is a love poem about two lovers, and it celebrates the love that exists between a man and his wife. And here what we read about is a couple in marriage enjoying the delights of marriage in the context of that relationship. There's reference to raisin cakes and apples and that kind of thing. These are fruits that were associated with fertility in the ancient world. And so this text winds up being instruction to us that as married people, we should enjoy all of the benefits of the sexual relationship that God has given us within marriage. And so it is biblical for Christians to celebrate sex within marriage. And so you know, the question about regulations for sexual behavior in marriage, if we're not careful in answering that question, we'll lose sight of uh, one key principle, which is sex is a good gift in marriage and it is to be received with thanksgiving and with joy. So I would say the principle is when you are married, all of the fruit in that garden of sexual delight is open to you and available to you, and you should be free and happy to partake of all of that that is a blessing. 
And yet, as true as that is, I would say that in a sinful world, we probably need to talk about a few qualifiers to that general principle. While, in general, the banquet is open, there are three qualifications that married couples need to remember that I think regulate that. And so this gets specifically to the issue of what are the regulations on sexual behavior in marriage. And here's the first one, is you may not, in your sexual relationship in marriage, include other people. This might seem obvious to some of you who are listening, but honestly, in our world today, there is nothing that should go without saying. As a matter of fact, God made the marriage bed to be enjoyed by one man and woman until they're parted by death. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's the man and his wife who were naked and were not ashamed. They left their parents to be joined together and they hold fast to one another and they become one flesh. This sexual union in marriage is an exclusive union and it is not open to admission by other people. This would include in arrangements like an open marriage where couples agree that they can have sex with other people. This would also include pornography. When you view pornography either alone or as a couple, you are introducing other people into the marriage bed, and that is not allowed. And so one regulation on enjoying the delights of sex within marriage is that you may not include other people. Another regulation, another qualifier, is that you may not harm one another. That is to say, the sexual union is a loving union, it is a tender union, and it is one that requires care for one another. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 to 29, the Apostle Paul writes about husbands to their wives. He says, "...so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself." No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. The Apostle Paul takes something for granted here. Uh, And what he takes for granted is that you have enough respect and care for your body that you nourish it. You never have to be instructed to care for your body. You just do that on your own. When you're hungry and you eat a sandwich, you don't congratulate yourself. Look at me. I ate a sandwich. I took care of myself. It's just part of it. That's what you do. Well, the Apostle Paul uses that assumption that you care for yourself and applies it to marriage. And he says, husbands, in the same way that you care for your own body, so you need to care for your wife because you are members one of another with her. You are one flesh. And so the idea in marriage is that we care for one another. We nourish one another. We take care of one another. What the Apostle Paul here directs towards men in the context of the larger marriage relationship has equal application for the wife in regards to the sexual uh, relationship. You should view this union as one of nurturing and tender care, and couples ought not to bring harm to one another 
even when, in some situations, one spouse would like it and would request it. There are some sexual practices that some people request, but that do bring physical harm. And as Christians, we ought to say, I'm not going to do anything to you that's going to hurt you, even if you ask me to. And so one sexual reality that is off limits is anything that would bring harm into the other person. And then a third qualifier, a third regulation on this general principle that sex is to be enjoyed is that you may not insist on your own way. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the Bible says that love does not insist on its own way. And you know, it's it's amazing to me the number of couples I have spoken to in my years in pastoral ministry, in my years in counseling, and there is a debate among the couple about this, that, or the other sexual practice. We're not talking about normal sexual relations. We're talking about uh, something else. We're talking about a special request that someone would like or that somebody would like to try. And the other spouse feels uncomfortable about it. And there is a debate. And you'll have the spouse who wants to try this this option. They'll say, well, I've read this or I heard this speaker. And they said, it's fine to do that. And the biblical response to that in line with 1 Corinthians 13, 5, is that you may not insist on your own way. And while it's true that the garden of sexual delights is open to married couples, and while it's true that this couple might enjoy this thing, and it's certainly not forbidden in the text of Scripture, if you are asking your spouse to do something that makes him or her uncomfortable, and it's something above and beyond just normal sexual relations, then you are insisting on your own way, and you are in sin. And if you're asking your spouse to do something that makes him or her feel uncomfortable, then you should forget about it. You should drop it. You should uh, repent of the hatred of insisting on your own way, and you should pursue the love that lets your preferences go and seeks to serve your spouse. And so in marriage, uh, we are to enjoy the sexual relationship that God has created, but that doesn't mean anything goes. In fact, you may not include other people, you may not harm one another, and you may not insist on your own way. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Every year before our annual conference on biblical counseling, ACBC hosts a pre-conference about a topic of interest to biblical counselors. And this year, on October 2nd in Jacksonville, Florida, our pre-conference before our annual conference is called Crafting a Covenant. And it's all about the issue of pre-marriage counseling and how to grow in our ability to offer that kind of counseling that is so important. This issue of sexual boundaries in marriage is one that often comes up in pre-marriage counseling, and so I wanted you to know about this important event. And if you'd like more information about that or about ACBC, then you can visit us at biblicalcounseling.com.